from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 22, starting in verse 1. Before I read this, I just want to uh, make note of there's a, there's a sheet on the back table uh, that's noted um, service participation where there are times in the service where um, to just kind of remind ourselves or refresh ourselves of truth, maybe there will be a scripture reading or something like this right before the sermon. And uh, what, what Todd and I really uh, hope to do is in, include as many, as many of you guys in those as possible. Um, as you guys are comfortable. So not everybody's comfortable reading in front of a large group of people, but if you are, there's just a sign-up sheet in the back. I encourage anybody who's willing to go ahead and put your name on that, and I will um, love to get you in the participation of the service. But starting in chapter 22, verse 1, says this, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who is in distress and everyone who is in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. May you be blessed by the reading of God's word. You may be seated this morning. As you know, we're making our way through the book of the books of First and Second Samuel. We're looking at the life of David. And it's said about David in the book of Acts that David was a man after God's own heart. And the the whole idea of this series has been for us: what would it look like for us to be a people of God after the heart of God? We're looking at David, but as you know, uh, through each of the first several weeks, David, to, we are not to identify with David. David is the Christ-like figure in the story. We're to identify how are we coming to a person like David, to uh, a, a man like Christ, the man of Christ. And so we've looked at that each of these last several weeks. Uh, we'll begin to kind of hit the accelerator uh, when it comes to m- making our way through the book of 1 Samuel. Just in a, probably in two weeks, we'll start the book of 2 Samuel. So I know there's several chapters left uh, in the book of 1 Samuel, but we'll make our way through uh, this last piece of uh, 1 Samuel rather quickly to get into the book of first, our 2 Samuel. You were here with us last week. We looked last week at how David and how God calls us to deal with with grief. Uh, remember David, uh, up until this point in his life, all things that have happened to David have been this, this hero of great success and great reward. And then we looked last week how God instrumentally removed all those things from David's life. R- remember, he, moved, he removed his wife, he, he removed his best friend, he removed his counsel he removed his own dignity and so David is sitting in a cave running for his life because King Saul has gotten word that David uh, is gaining ground on him and gaining popularity and he knows King Saul knows that David one day will be king and so Saul is trying to take matters into his own hand to kill uh, this this boy so he will never become king and so here's where we're at in the story David is sitting in a cave, lonely, 
nothing's around him. And if you'll turn just for a moment to Psalm uh, chapter 142, that's page 523 uh, in the Pew Bibles, the ESV Pew Bibles. Turn with me to page 523. There's three different Psalms that are recorded uh, about this moment for David as he sits in a cave. We looked at one of those last week. There's two other ones. And there's many debate on which order they come in, and I believe they come in the order that I, I've presented them to you. So here is what young David is saying in the cave. A very isolated, lonely place. All to himself. And yet this is what David is able to cry out loud. He said, with my voice I cry out to the Lord. And with my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. And I pour out my complaint before him, and I tell my troubles before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. Does that not sound like a distraught human being sitting alone in a cave and yet he's crying out, he's pleading out to the Lord? Well, he knows the Lord is going to hear him. You can read that in the following verses. I cry to the Lord. You are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry. For I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors. For they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me for they will be deal bountifully with me. So here's David crying out to the Lord. He's crying out to the Lord that God would hear his cry and that God would restore him and that God would bring people around him. You see that in the very last verse. Now let's go back to our text this morning. The Lord hears David's cry in 1 Samuel chapter 22. David is crying for companions. David is crying not to be alone. David is crying that he will have other people to help rescue him from this wicked man, Saul. And it says this, as David departed, he ran, he fled, he escaped to the cave. And then look who comes around. Look, look how God answers his prayer. Again, this is not how I'd want the prayer to be answered in my life. He's crying that people would come around him to support him and to give him strength. Remember, because God had just removed all that from his life. And who does God bring around? And when his brothers and all of his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. God answered David's cry for companions and for community and for friendships and relationships with who? His brothers and his dad. Do you remember who his brothers and his dad were? Remember, his dad had forgot about him in chapter 17. Remember, Samuel came to Jesse and said, hey, bring all your kids, all your sons to me because God's told me to anoint them to one of them to be the king. And you remember, Jesse paraded them in one by one by one by one. And 
every single boy, it was said, God did not have his hand on him. And then Samuel said to Jesse, is there any more? There has to be someone else. God sent me here to anoint one, and none of these have been anointed. And Jesse's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, there's that one that we tend to forget about. And yet what happens? He brings them, and God says, that's the man. And then you remember in the next chapter, Jesse sends young David out to check on his brothers. And remember, he gets out to the battlefield. And what do his brothers say to him? They begin to mock him. Who are you? What are you shown up to do? You're but a boy. You can't take on this giant. And yet, who is the people that God brings into his life? I wonder if David, as soon as he said, this is my version uh, I call it the TSV version, the Todd Standard version. He, he says amen and looks up, and then he sees like these shadows coming in from the, the mouth of the cave. And I, I, I wonder if he's like peering in deeper and deeper, and then as it gets closer and closer, he's like, what? Huh? Like, what are you doing here? Like, I know I just prayed to God that God would send me some people into my life to help me as I sit in this cave, but that's not how I wanted the prayer to be answered. That, if I'm David, that's not who I'd want. The people that forgot about me, the people that made fun of me, the people that distracted me from what God wanted me to do, and yet God's sovereign in control of all things. So he brings his family in first. And then it says this in verse 2. So his brothers and their family begin to trickle into the cave. And then it says, verse 2, and everyone, like it doesn't just stop with those handful of family members. It says now that 400 people wander into that cave with him. Do you see that in the text? Verse 2 at the end. There were about 400 men that wandered into that cave. Now turn with me to Psalm, or to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 23. I'm going to come back to this passage, but I want to talk first. This is what we tend to think of when we think of those 400 men, the mighty men of David. Anyone heard that before, the mighty men of David? Well, here's the mighty men of David, and here's how it's listed about these 400 men. Now, we don't hear all 400 men, but we get a snapshot of these guys that wander into the cave that day. I will not pronounce the name because I will butcher them like no other. But it says about the first one, he was the chief of three of them. Those three, if you remember the story, you can find it here in this passage. Three men, David's thirsty as all get out, and he says, I just wish I had some water from that well. These three men heard about it, and they run in the middle of the battle to find the water. Which you're pretty bad if you can go into draw some water out of the middle of the enemy camp and come out and not get killed. You're a pretty bad dude. But he's the chief of them. It says he had a, a spear that he wielded in his hand. Look how many he killed in one, one time. 800 people. Uh, just wrap your mind around that for a moment. 
hundred men came to attack this one brother and he kills them all with a spear. That's pretty bad. That's one of the gods. Just next to him was another man and he, he fought and he rose and struck. This is verse 10 of chapter 22 of 2 Samuel. He rose and struck down the, Phil- the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. And David and, God, and the Lord brought a great victory. It's, he's saying that he wielded his sword so long and for so hard and had such a grip. If you ever grip something for so long, it's like you can't open your hand for it to fall out of. That's how tight he was holding this thing as he fought man after man after man after man. And it says that God gave him great victory. And over and over again, we see in this text, I won't read all the names and all the things that these great men did. There's another man that I, I think that David in verse 20 taught this man how to do this. It said that he went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a snowy day with his bare hands. And so this, these verses, verses 8 through 39, all are about the mighty men of David. And all of us read this passage in chapter 22 and we think to ourselves man if if you're like me as a man you're like man i wish my name was in that list man i wish i could do great things like this anyone else in the room like i wish god would use me in uh, a powerful way to do great things anybody else and so we get we can read this chapter and miss where they come from now let's turn back to chapter 22 of 1 Samuel. Remember the mighty men of David and all that they had accomplished. You know, we get the benefit of knowing chapter 22 of 2 Samuel. But David was in a cave all by himself. His family members wandered in and now these 400 other men wander in with him. But that's not what David saw that day. It's 2 Samuel chapter 22. He didn't see Uriah, the mighty man of God. He didn't see the other man that killed the, the lion in the pit. He didn't see the man that wielded the, she, the, the spear against 800 men. What did David see that day? It says this, and then everyone... It was what? Distressed. All the people of the land that were distressed came to David. The disenfranchised, the the homeless. I'm telling you, for me, if I'm building an army, I don't want to build an army full of homeless people. I'm not trying to be judgmental. My first thought is when I want mighty men around me, I don't think of those that are distressed. He says, so everyone who was distressed came to him. Everyone who was in debt came to him. You got distressed people. You got those who are in great debt of other people. And then it says this. And everyone who was bitter in the soul. You ever been around bitter people? I'm telling you, working with bitter people all day, 
I don't want an army full of bitter people. And yet, as David is sitting on the cave, he's crying out to God, bring me people in my life, God, that can help me accomplish your goal for my life. You've called me to be the king, but I don't know how being a king is ever going to happen sitting in this cave. I need people around me. And God, you took the people that I thought were going to be the people to help me get to the throne. That's what he tells us in chapter 142 of Psalm. That's his prayer. And God said, I'm going to answer your prayer, David. It's going to be your brothers and your daddy first, and then it's going to be 400 of these men. Again, I'm telling you, if I'm writing the story, that's not who I'm writing in the story. And yet it says this, and he what? He, they gathered to him, and he became the commander over all of them. That was David's army. That was who God was going to use in a powerful way to protect David. That's who God was going to use in a powerful way to advance David to the throne. That's all of God's way of dealing with things. Ways that you and I would never dream to deal with things. I don't think David that day thought, man, yes, thank you, Lord Jesus, for these guys. But he saw what came in front of him after his prayer, and he responded with obedience to God and said, God, if this is who you're going to give me, then I'll do what you say, and I'll become their commander. And I'll do everything I can to make them diligent warriors for you. They became warriors with David because of David's training to them. David didn't have the attitude, oh, this is what you gave me? This is it? I'll wait for the next batch. I'll wait for those that I think look like they have it all together. I, I think I'll wait for the mighty men to walk in here. No, he said in that moment, okay, God, if this is who you brought, if this is who you've placed before me, if this is how you're going to answer my prayer, I'll be faithful to you and you alone and do what you've called me to do, and that's to be their king and their commander. You see, I think when I come to this text, one thing rings out truer than any other thing to me in this passage. It, it reminds me of every one of us in this room. We tend to want to be the David that God's going to use. But turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You see, when a God starts assembling his church, who's he assemble for his church? You see, when I want to assemble a church in my flesh, I'm going to pick the right people with the right gifts and the right abilities, and they've got to look just right. The sad part is some churches do that. I would call them not a church. I'd just call them an, an organization that's making money off people. But this is what God's word says about his ways. Where is the, this is 
on page 952 of your pew Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the age? What, what Paul is asking is this question, like, where's all the wisdom that's in the room? Where's the people that have it all together? Where are they in the room? Where are they in the church, is what Paul is saying. And yet Paul, being masterful, he answers his own question. Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through folly of what he preached to save those who believe. For the Jews denied signs, the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But those who are called both Jew and Gentile Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisest man and the weakness of God is stronger than man. You see, when God has a plan and a purpose, it's going to look foolish to the world. You see, it looks foolish to you and me that God would handpick who? Let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 22. Who does God assemble around young David? Everyone who is in distress. That means the word literally means under pressure, under stress. He's going to use those people. Everyone who is in debt, that means you owe somebody something. You have nothing to offer. And those who are bitter in the soul are discontented. That is who God is going to use. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Before we get to Matthew chapter 11, though I want to say this. Who are we in the story? Who are you in the story? Not in Matthew chapter 11, but in 1 Samuel. You see, we're not David in the story. We're not even David's dad or brothers in the story. We are the distressed, the ones that are in debt, and the ones that are bitter, and yet that is who God assembles. And yet I wonder so often, how do we get so far away from being the ones that are in debt, the ones that, that are discontented, the ones that, that we don't have it all together? Like that's who God wants to continue to use. And somewhere in your journey and somewhere in my journey with the church and being saved, we've gotten to this place that thanks to ourselves, man, we better always have it all together. And then we'll shame ourselves. Well, I don't have anything to offer. We'll go that route. I, I'm not wise. I, I can't teach. I can't do this. I can't do that. No, God's called you here to Powell's Chapel. Therefore, God wants to use you here at Powell's Chapel to distress the debtors, the disenfranchised. And he's given you and I all that we need to accomplish his purposes. He tells us that in 2 Peter 
You have everything you, you need for a life of godliness as the debtor, as the distressed, as the poor. Remember what it says about Jesus. He overlooks Jerusalem and he begins to weep and he says to himself and to God and to the Holy Spirit, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed. But yet that's who I've come for. You see, God, who God has come for are those who are sick. He tells us in his gospel. I did not come for the well, but I came for the sick. And yet when I look around the church, and I don't just mean Palace Chapel, I, I mean universal. I don't see too many of the people that God came after in the gospel. The homeless, the distraught, the stressed out ones. Now that may be true of you and you've just cleaned it up nice. But our community is full of these people. Is it not? Is our world not full of orphans? Is our world not full of homeless people? Is our world not full of widows? You see, a widow is in great need. She's in great debt. You see, what, what God is talking about and who God brought to David were all the ones that you and I would be like, mm-mm. And yet, God's plan has always been to reach those people. God did not come to reach the Pharisees. God came to reach the disenfranchised. He says this in Matthew chapter 11, and he's begging this of us still today. You know this passage very well. It says this, Come to me, all who are what? Who labor. That's being stressed out. Those who labor are in distress. I shared a little bit this about this on Wednesday evening. That word labor has everything to do with the external. And then the other one, heavy laden, has everything to do with the internal. And Jesus is saying all those who are both externally stressed out and all those who are internally stressed out, I've come for you. And so how is it that the church isn't full of stressed out people if that's who God's come for? He says, come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is going to sound awkward coming from me as a clinician in the, the realm of psychology. Like the greatest pill we can give somebody is not Zoloft or Paxil, but is this, the Word of God. But what, where do we tend to go with that? We don't tend to say, hey, all those who are stressed and all those who are heavy laden, hey, you wait out there before God can deal with you, take this pill, and then come to us. Now, we don't say that out loud as the church. 
but our behavior shows that out loud. I mean, what would happen next week if we went into Nashville with the bus God's provided for us in every corner we picked up a homeless person and brought them into the church? How uncomfortable will we be then? Like they might leave stains on our carpet. They might leave stains on our nice pews. They might use the bathroom and pee all over the place. Well, how do I know that? Well, go to any public restroom. That's what it looks like. And so we would say externally, no, 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 we want to welcome everybody. But internally, we're like, oh, no, what, what, is, what has just happened? But yet, who has God called us to? The distressed. The homeless. The down and out. Why? So that we can invite them into this door and say to them, hey, you want rest and you want rest for your souls? Well, hey, welcome to the bus. Welcome to the cave, if you will. Because the truth is, you and 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 definitely me, we were all cave dwellers that were distressed and distraught and in debt. And yet in God's sovereignty, and most likely by the provision of another man or woman in your life, they saw you as that and they welcomed you in. And that's what David did. David said, that's who you've given me? Okay, I'll be faithful and true with what you've given to me. And you fast forward that all the way to the gospel. You see, you're here as a believer today because in God's sovereignty he brought you into the cave and there sat a greater David and in that greater sovereignty Jesus looked at you and said yep you are distressed you are in debt and you are in great need but look I'll give you everything that I have so that you're no longer distressed you're no longer distraught you're no longer in need because my blood covers all that and then i'll use you mightily in my kingdom fast forward to second samuel chapter 22 and 23 we begin come the mighty men and the mighty men of god when we surrender ourselves to jesus as our ultimate king and commander and then it can be written about you oh lord you wielded a shield and a sword enslaved 800 people yeah it's called your high school you went in there every day and were faithful and true with the word of god to the students and i could go around the room and say each one of us can go back and it could be said about us you see because these men weren't mighty warriors because of themselves they were mighty men because they submitted themselves to king david who taught them all that he knew And yet we have a greater King David. His name is King Jesus. So I beg the question. The first one is this. Do you remember the cave you wandered into? The second question is, do you remember the Savior you met in the cave? And the third, probably the most important one, have you been faithful and true to what your commander said to do?
You see, those men and women, or those men in that cave would not have been men of valor, men of warrior, if they did not submit to the training of King David. So I beg the question. Do you remember the cave? Do you remember the Savior? And you'll be obedient to what he's called you to. Let's never forget we are cave dwellers. But yet there's a king in that cave that rescues. Let us pray. Jesus, through your word, here in 1 Samuel, it's a reminder for all of us. And as we sit here this morning, I pray that you'd quicken our hearts and you'd remind us, oh God, apart from you, we are still distressed. And that you'd remind us, oh Jesus, apart from your blood, we are still in great debt. And that debt is we owe our lives because of our wicked sin. But yet you, Jesus paid the ultimate price for our debt to give us life. And God, I pray that you would remind us that we were discontented and we were bitter in the soul. And yet in the same way we gathered around you as those men gathered around David and you became our commander. And I pray, Lord Jesus, in my own life, in the lives of these men and women here, that God, that as you teach us through your word, that we submit to your word. And in submission to your word, God, we would become men and women of valor. I pray that you never allow us to forget where we came from. And therefore, if you brought us from death to life, that you want that to be true for every man, woman, and child in our community. that obnoxious neighbor, even in my own life, God, some of the people that you've placed in my path. There's people that I want to kind of run from and look the other way and not go down that aisle at Publix when I see them. But God, that's who you've come for. And the reminder is that's who I once was. You are a great God and a great king. And I pray that it would be true for every one of us. That we'd surrender our lives to you and to you alone. No one in this room is perfect. You didn't choose perfect people. That's what you tell us through Paul. The wisdom of God trumps the wisdom of man. Because man's wisdom would say, don't pick him. But your wisdom said, I do and I will. Let that be true for all of us this morning. You're a great God and a great king. We love you, Lord Jesus. We pray these all in the mighty in his mighty name, and all of God's people said, Amen.